The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our first call of 2022 to learn more about the week and the year ahead in stocks. Markets are rising. I'll take that as a good omen for the new year. And my guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. We thought we'd start the call by looking ahead to the trends that might shape 2022. How are you, Ben? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Lauren. Glad you're back on Barron's Live. So I want to start out by looking at the past year. The S&P 500 really had a remarkable year when you think about it. It was up 26.9% in price terms and 28.7% on a total return basis. That means dividends are also included. This marks the third year of double-digit gains. So I can't resist asking you, is there going to be a fourth? It's a great question. I mean, it's been an incredible run for the stock market. Um, What I do find interesting about last year is that um, the rise, for the most part, was driven by earnings. the PE on the market actually came in, not a lot, um, but a little bit from, I think it was around 22, 23 at the beginning of uh, of the year and ended around 21 times, give or take. Um, so the PE didn't come out down a lot, but came down a little bit. It's still elevated. I think it was higher during the year. Um, I'm not, it depends on what you're looking at. I'm looking at a fact set chart. They, they okay. put the peak around 23. Um, but but it was really driven by the earnings. That's the that's the important thing here is we we had this big earnings year. Uh, analysts really missed on um, what they expected. They were a lot stronger than anyone had, had really thought they would be, and that's what drove the market higher. Um, and, and so I think the the question comes down really to two things at this point. Um, will the earnings growth still be there, and what is going to be the reaction to the Fed um, from the market on the on the multiple? Um, I, I do think we're going to have an, another up year. I just I look at this economy that we have. Um, GDP growth is uh, supposed to be up four uh, percent or more in 2022. Um, sales for the S and P 500 are expected to increase by 7.3 percent, according to FactSet, um, and that's double the 10-year average of 3.5 percent. And S and P 500 what earnings are not. Do you think? Uh, which the, the the revenue the, the, or the the, um, or, the or revenue the estimate double double the historical average. Well, I think the growth is double. The, the GDP growth is is double mm-hmm. the uh, the average. Um, what we have is just an economy that is so much stronger, and the uh, a lot of the S and P five hundred is levered to that economic growth. Um, you know, if their costs are relatively fixed and they're getting more growth, then um, everything else is for margins. Yes, it's, it's good news for margins. It's uh, going to be good news for sales. I mean, it's just it should be good news all around. It's just not going to be as good as last year. 
Um, you know, we're going to get 9% um, earnings are what's expected um, from the, the S&P 500, which is why if you look at um, a lot of the strategists right now, they're expecting um, someplace in that ballpark. I think uh, um, in Nick Jasinski's uh, outlook, uh, the strategists were expecting someplace around 7 or 8%. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren. Um, no, I think that's about right. Yeah, and you know this is all in line with earnings. They're just looking at earnings. They see this, you know, eight percent growth in earnings, nine percent growth, a little bit of margin contract or uh, PE contraction, and um, you really do get uh, a market that goes up a little bit. But it's always messier than that. You know, it's it's nice to be able to say it's going to be earnings um, driven and whatnot, but it's just it's messier usually. But I think that there is because that earnings could beat again. Uh, margins are going to be stronger, probably. Um, the expectation right now is for 12.8%, uh, which would be the highest since at least uh, 2008. This is again from FactSet. Um, and so I, I think there's potential there for the market really to surprise um, to uh, to the upside and maybe even give a, a, a second, or sorry, a fourth year of double digit gains. Um, I do think it will be messy though along the way that uh, um, you're not going to, you have a Fed that um, is committed to raising interest rates, and we'll get to that more in a minute. Um, we have uh, economic data is more volatile than it was during the post financial crisis when everything was really subdued. And that, even though it was subdued, it was very predictable um, and made it kind of easy to see where the trends were. And I'm not sure anyone knows what the trends really are right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot more volatility than we saw last year. And as volatile as last year might have felt for the S&P 500, there was only one pullback of more than 5% um, from, an, from a high. Um, so it was really a fairly calm year overall, uh, despite these bursts of, uh, of, of short-term volatility along the way. Felt like an excellent year and people got rather hysterical when the market finally sold off a little. But Ben, couldn't you also make the case if the Omicron variant of COVID peaks and we don't have another variant behind it, which is saying a lot, I'm not a scientist, but it's saying a lot, couldn't you make the case that suddenly the economy will really go into overdrive? As people uh, you, come out of hibernation, you could. I mean, that's the the thing is that um, the uh, the virus um, it, heading into 2021, there was this expectation that the virus would simply go away, and um, everything would, would take off. Right, that the economic growth would just surge, um, and then it would have to find out where the that kind of the new normal level was. But it was a lot more in fits and starts, um, and in some ways that has kept the economy from being even as as hot as it could have been um and i think uh it, it uh it's very possible that if uh omicron um does uh fade away if that we figure out how to better handle um these uh these surges in in the virus so yeah you could get economic growth that's even stronger than predicted something to watch but let's go back to the fed which you mentioned earlier and which is really the big thing to watch this year the fed is planning to end its emergency asset purchases this year as it's already forecast and the federal fund futures market is pricing in a greater than 50 percent chance of a rate hike at the march meeting of the federal open market committee as you wrote about in this past weekend's up and down wall street columns so given that the fed is ending its asset purchases and is likely to raise rates and probably not just once. How do you think the market's going to react to all that? That's that's a big, you know, really a sea change from the past two years. 
It really is. Um, and I think the uh, the reaction is going to depend a lot on, on the bond market. Um, you know, despite everything, the, uh, the yields from like the 10 year on out um, have really r refused to go up all that much. Um, right, so what is that telling us? Uh, well, that's telling us one of two things, um, that uh, either the um, the Fed is, uh, with its bond purchases, is continuing to keep a lid on, on the bond market and keeping those yields from rising too much, or that uh, investors are worried that um, economic growth uh, in the longer term is not going to be much higher than it was uh, before COVID, which wasn't terribly strong. Um, and I think it remains to be seen um, how that uh, plays out. I think the initial, I mean, if, if history repeats itself, the initial rate hikes um, should be accepted by the market pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well. I mean, it, it usually does. Those first hikes, uh, um, you know, there's some volatility around it, but the markets generally go up. Um, it's later on that uh, you have to start worrying about um, uh, about the rate hikes and the impact on the economy. And that's why I always watch the yield curve um, for that point where the um, where, where they, the short-term rates uh, go higher than the longer-term rates, what we call a yield curve inversion. Um, it's a bad sign. It's a, it's a very bad sign. It means that, uh, you know, when, when someone's willing to, um, you know, pay uh, to pay you more to get their money back sooner, that's uh, th that's telling you that there, there are problems looming. And, and it's what I find very funny is that it's such a reliable indicator that it um, even predicted um, if you will, the recession that was caused by COVID. Um, you know, the the yield curve inverted, and, and here's the problem with the yield curve. It's not a short-term indicator. It's not like it inverts and boom, the market falls. It's a, you need about 12 months. Um, and usually, though it could be as much shorter than that, it could be longer than that, but you do 12 months. And that's really what it was um, for, uh, you know, between when it inverted and when uh, COVID caused a recession. And really, it's just telling you that there's something in, that the economy has gotten fragile enough at that point that something could come along that kicks it into a recession. Um, and that's that's what happened. But right now, we're not we're not there yet. We're seeing a flattening curve um, um, for the most part. Um, and that, that varies you know, day by day. Um, but uh, as long as it's not inverting, you know, we can hope that this economic growth is strong enough to keep things moving. So I want to take a look at equity sectors before we go on to the news of the week. Energy was the best performing sector in the S&P 500 last year. It rose 48 percent, and that's after being the worst performer in 2020, speaking of volatility. So a couple of questions for you. Will energy continue to do well this year? And which other sectors will do well and which do you think will do worse? Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think with energy, um, energy has just gotten decimated. Um, it is such a minuscule part of the S&P 500 at this point. Probably less minuscule than it was going into last year. But it's still tiny. It still uh, is, yeah. It is still just very small. Um, and, you know, that makes it, um, as it gets popular, um, or as it gets more popular, more money comes into it, and that, that helps push it up. I do think that it was so hated for so long that I wouldn't be surprised if we get another decent year out of uh, the energy sector. Um, I think there's a lot of things working in its favor. Um, 
part of it is oil prices. As long as oil prices stay at these levels, these companies are going to be profitable. They've done a lot of work to cut costs. Um, they're very focused on um, returning cash to uh, shareholders. Um, and the other side of things is that with the push to ESG, there's not much money going into the oil market uh, for oil and gas. And I, I do think that has a um, that that helps put a floor under oil prices because they're not overproducing. Um, no, it's simple supply and demand. It really is. And, you know, as long as that's the case, um, it, it, in the in the short term, at least, um, that could keep a floor under oil prices. And if they continue to do what they're doing, which is just to be very careful with how much they spend on drilling and things like that, um, I think they could be fine. I don't think you see, um, I mean, you have to remember the, the gain um, that uh, we saw in 2021 came after just, uh, you know, oil prices went negative in 2020. Um, and so there was just massive dislocations on both sides um, of, you know, with uh, that first with that drop and then coming back. And so I know, are you going to see another 150% gain in a stock like uh, Devon Energy? I think that's around what it had um, last year. Probably not. I'm Probably guess. not. But can you see... Um, energy stocks as a sector continue to work? I would say, yeah. So what else is going to work and what is not going to work? Well, let me start with what's not going to work. Um, I'm, I'm going to go out on, on a limb here. One of the things that worries me is when I see a sector do very well um, in terms of its stock performance, um, but not so great in terms of um, its earnings. And when you look at technology, um, that was really the case. Um, they were, they had, a, that, that sector had a fantastic year, um, and its PE stayed the same. Um, it was, it was virtually unchanged over the course of 2021, which, which tells you that, uh, most of that was, um, you know, wasn't really driven, um, so much by, uh, by earnings. Um, it, it was, or, you know, it wasn't like many sectors where you actually saw the PE, um, you know, pull back. Um, go down even as earnings went up. Um, so I'm, I'm going to worry a little bit about uh, uh, technology. I mean, it, it's so much of it depends on Apple, which uh, is nearing $3 trillion. Um, and, and Apple trades at a very high valuation at this point. It used to be that we could look at Apple five years ago and say, gosh, look how cheap Apple is. Um, you can't do that anymore. Um, so I'm going to worry a little bit about tech. I'm probably going to, you're going to, we're probably going to come back and do a call in a year from now. I'm going to have to kick myself really hard. Um, but <laughs> well, if you're worried about tech, you're worried about the market in some ways because tech dominates the averages. It, it does though. You can also, um, you know, tech relies so much on, on Apple that, uh, you could perhaps have the sector do well if, uh, some of these companies that did get beaten up, um, in 2021, but you don't really didn't have an impact on the sector to start to do do well. And then the other part of it is that you know you have other uh, tech stocks or what you know not tech specific. Um, it's not technically tech, but still what we think of as tech. Um, namely, I'm thinking of uh, Amazon, which did nothing last year, um, and uh, Facebook, which also had some issues. Um, and, and if those stocks do well, um, you know they can offset an Apple. Um, but we'll have to wait and see how they play out. I mean, it's, it was uh, interesting to see um, Amazon it's, uh, specifically really sit out the great 2021. Right. It certainly did. So we'll watch that. What about things like healthcare, financials? Um, well, 
let's look at the defensive sectors first. Um, I'm really thinking staples, utilities, healthcare, and, and real estate. Um, the ones that, uh, you know, they're going to have a little more sensitivity to rising rates. Um, they really rallied a ton to end 2021. Um, there was this real shift towards, I, I think, uh, some defensiveness, some, some kind of uh, shift towards quality, um, just companies that were very consistent. Um, and what we're seeing today to start off the, the year is that uh, they're getting sold off pretty hard. I think real estate was, is down about 2% um, as, as we speak. Um, we have staples um, are down uh, about 0.8%. Um, healthcare, I don't think, is doing well. Healthcare is down 1.5%. Um, it, it feels like there's a real shift, whether it's because of rising rates or just because investors feel like they were too defensive at the end of the year and need to go out and take some more risk. I'm not sure what it is. Um, but these are sectors that, um, you know, there, I kind of, when I look back at last year, I see that there was a lot of rotating around things would start to go up and then they'd reverse. Um, and so when I see something like I would not have wanted to buy staples, utilities, healthcare, real estate into the end of the year because they had ripped so much. But as they pull back, those are sectors that I might start thinking about again, um, because for, for two reasons, one, and this is coming from Morgan Stanley, these kind of sectors, sorry, specifically staples, healthcare, and real estate, they do well when the Fed is tightening and also when when PMIs, so these are the uh, surveys that are given of of, uh, of companies to see other businesses, when those are peaking, and those are still very high, um, but if they are indeed peaking, which we had people saying they were last year and they actually held up pretty well, um, these sectors do very well too. And so I think if we see continued weakness in those staples, healthcare, and real estate stocks, this might be a decent time to start picking some of them up um, to, to sort of offset some of the volatility that will probably come along this year. Good point there. I want to move on to earnings season, which kicks off a week from Friday when the big banks report earnings. We've got a few companies reporting this week, though, and I want to go through them quickly. I also want to ask you, what is the general outlook for first quarter earnings season and, and the general outlook for the banks? And then we'll move on to some specific names. Sure. And I also, before you talk, Ben, I just want to mention we're going to take questions at the end of the call. So I encourage listeners to send in questions. We'll make time for them. Go ahead, Ben. Earnings. So earnings should be fine. Um, I mean, it's the one thing that we really haven't had to um, to doubt too much yet. I mean, it's, it's been amazing, actually, that uh, every quarter, even with uh, uh, COVID's uh, surges coming and people worried about inflation and whatnot, uh, companies have been able to uh, report good earnings. They're, they've been able to pass on um, higher costs uh, to uh, consumers, um, which uh, I, mean, I, th I think is probably not too much of a surprise given how well the, um, uh, sorry, given, given how much uh, uh, earnings for people have gone up. Um, people are making more money. They got mm -hmm. checks from the government. And so, you know, inflation's going up, but companies are passing that along. And that's really helped um, earnings and should continue to do so in the first part of the year. Um, as for banks, we're going to get our first uh, reporters coming um, a week from this coming Friday. Um, we'll get JP Morgan, we're going to get Citi, and we're going to get Wells Fargo. Um, 
for, for the bank sector overall, there's going to be some disappointment in financials. Um, disappointment in the sense that earnings probably will not be as strong as they were a year ago. And that's for two reasons. One is that um, the PPP business, uh, those loans that were given out to, to businesses that had to um, um, to, uh, to you know to, to shut down but keep you know they want to keep their workers in place um, those are very profitable and they're not going to have those anymore the other thing that they had were these loan loss reserves that were released last year um, so they had set aside a lot of money to cover for loan for bad loans and they never had to use it um, and that helped earnings as well um, and so really earnings for this coming year um, are going to be a lot more dependent on loan growth um, and so we're going to be keeping an eye out for um, for whether people are going to start wanting loans again. And the one thing that might mean that they do is that as the Fed um, starts to tighten, um, it's not going to be buying bonds anymore. It's probably going to raise rates. And with less fiscal stimulus coming through than people had thought last year, um, you know, there's not going to be as much money coming from the government. So people who want to build a business or do something, they're probably going to have to go to a bank. The banks have a lot of money and they want to do a lot of lending. And so if they can start to grow their loans, that's going to be really, um, that could be very good for the sector. Um, we haven't seen loan growth in a very long time. Um, for two of those banks, uh, City and Wells, um, they're less driven by these macro kind of um, uh, factors than they are by their um, very specific ones. Um, you know, City is just uh, has a new CEO who's trying to unwind some of the uh, low margin overseas business. Wells still operates under under this cap because of its uh, um, because of the the things it did to its uh, its um, its customers. Uh, um, and, and so the, the closer those two can get to fixing their problems, the better those stocks will do. Um, and I do like those self-help stories. Um, they often they can get so they can get some of their problems figured out. That provides a boost that a company that is run as well as, let's say, J.P. Morgan isn't going to get. Right. They they would be much more dependent in, in the case of a J.P. Morgan on larger factors affecting right. the industry and the market. But self-help stories are great. Because they they really give you the opportunity to to see some wonderful gains if companies get it right. Yes, and some a lot of pain if they get it wrong. Um, I mean, remember on top GE, of the pain they've already suffered. Exactly. You look at something like a GE, which uh, you know was a self help story for so long before it finally got in a CEO who could start moving in the right direction. We hope. Right. Well, a new year is a good time for self help for companies and for people. But moving on, we've got a bunch of retailers reporting this week. Costco is going to give us a December sales report. Bed Bath & Beyond will be reporting. And Walgreen Boots Alliance, the drugstore chain, will also be reporting. Tell us about Costco. It seems to be a perennial favorite. Yeah, I mean, Costco is just incredible. I mean, it's uh, you read the analyst notes on it, and you read what the analysts are saying, and they're just superlative after superlative, and yet it's rated neutral by so many analysts, um, largely because of valuation. But valuation, the, the comparing Costco's valuation to its competitors just has never worked. Um, we're going to see Costco probably have 11% uh, growth in sales, uh, same-store sales during uh, December. That was coming from Guggenheim. That's what they're modeling. He's The, the analyst there is one that uh, has a neutral rating on the stock. Um, 
And part of the concern is just how much the stock has gone up recently. It's gone up 27% just during the last three months. It was up 46% during the past year. Um, what's interesting about Costco is it usually, you know, it gets these rallies and then it pulls back a bit. It often goes sideways. Sometimes it pulls back a little bit more and you really start to worry, oh my gosh, this is that moment where that everybody's been waiting for when Costco just doesn't work anymore and it starts to fall apart, but it doesn't happen and it goes up. Someday it will happen. Um, but right now it seems to be in a fairly decent position with um, it's able to, um, it's still growing. It is able to raise prices to cover um, the, the higher input costs. Um, it has those membership fees that it's able to raise every once in a while that are such a big uh, part of the Costco story. So as long as people are willing to spend money to be able to shop at Costco, this stock probably works. So you wait for these pullbacks to happen. You don't chase the stock, but you wait for it to, uh, to pull back. You wait for people to um, start souring on it. And that's usually the time to pick it up a little more. Um, I'm not sure when you actually sell the thing. You know, maybe if it has a big rip, you could take profits on a piece of, of uh the position, but you you hold it because um, it's just one of those stocks that seems to do well regardless of what happens, even when it just is stagnant for a while. Right. It seems to work. Let's go very quickly through the others because I want to get to some economic news and some listener questions. But what's the outlook very quickly for Bed Bath? Bed Bath, it needs to show that this transformation is trying to put into place is working. Um, you know, it's, it's trying to cut costs. It's trying to raise margins. Um, and right now, that hasn't really happened. It was down 14% last year. It's down 1.7% over the last month. It is buying back a lot of shares, and that is going to help the earnings. But it really needs to show that it, that its plan is working. Um, and so I think that's what people are going to be looking for. What's that forecast uh, going ahead? Um, what's happening with market share, that kind of thing? Good point. And what about um, Walgreens? Walgreens is all about um, about COVID right now. Um, you know, it's about uh, people coming in to get their vaccines. There's been a lot more of them than we than was originally expected. That's going to help. Um, it's buying tests and all these times that people go into the stores, whether it's for vaccines or tests, they're buying other stuff. And this should help Walgreens when they report. All right, and I want to ask you just very quickly: Constellation Brands is also reporting. What's the outlook there? Constellation had done, the stock has done really well recently. Um, and so for them, it's just going to be about uh, its margins um, coming off of largely its beer portfolio. Um, if they can uh, continue to do that, um, it's going to be okay. Um, but I do worry that with the stock having rallied so much recently, like a lot of staples, that it is setting itself up for, um, you know, there's some pretty high expectations coming into the number. Okay, Ben, moving on to economic news, we've got the December minutes of the FOMC meeting coming out on, I think it's Wednesday. We've got the jobs numbers coming out on Friday. It's going to be a big week for economic news. Give us a quick preview of the FOMC minutes and also of the jobs report. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both going to be watched closely for what the Fed is going to do. But I think we have a pretty good idea what the Fed is going to do. So the minutes we're going to hear there a little more about their, the conversation that resulted in this pivot to fighting and in, in, to at least trying to control inflation from being solely focused on the jobs market before the dropping of the word transitory. Um, and so we should hear a little bit about the thinking that went into that, though I'm not sure any of it's going to be that new. We've heard a lot about this already from Powell. Um, the other thing that we're going to get is the jobs report. Um, 
we're expected to uh, add three, the US economy is expected to add 374,000 jobs. That would be up from 210,000 in November. The unemployment rate is supposed to drop to 4.1% and that'd be down from 4.2. But I think what this number is probably gonna show is um, you know that we really are very close to full uh, full employment. I mean that unemployment uh, number down to four point one. If we get a surprise where it drops under four percent, we're back near where we were um, before COVID. Um, we're getting very close as it is. Um, but I don't know if any of this is going to change um, what the Fed is going to do if we really believe that the Fed might start raising rates in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I, I hate saying this. We hear every month, oh, this is the most important jobs report, the last jobs <laughs> we report. Do. We do. I'm not sure that's the case this time. I think this one might, might not be that important. Again, I'll kick myself next week because it's probably going to be very important. All right. We'll hold you to that. So let's get to a couple of questions before we close. Um, Eva Leslie asks, what has been the source of the most reliable prediction for the near-term future behavior of the market, besides Barron's, of course? <laughs> Honestly, I think it's the market itself. Um, you know, I, I I am a close watcher of the technicals for the stock market, and you know, they usually do a good job of telling you whether the market's going to go, you know, up or down in the short term. Um, you know, it's it's when when things like support breaks um, or when they hold um, these these kind of things really do work pretty well in the in the short term. Um, and, you know, I was talking to one of my, my favorite uh, technicians is um, Frank Capillary over at Instanet. And just like when you're in these kind of uptrends and you're seeing these uh, formations uh, get created, you know, he wants to give himself a little bit of room just because the market has been so strong. And it's been a great strategy for him. It's, uh, you know, it kept him from getting shaken out all year long, um, e- even though we, we did have that, you know, a few scary drops, but nothing that really said get out of the market. So for the short term. I, I look at the market itself. I think that's good advice. Probably better than looking at this or that strategist or investor. Yeah. So let let the market tell you where where things are headed. We have a question from Melvin. Will chip makers finally get a handle on the shortage and allow for the EV market to grow significantly? Well, I think that despite the chip shortage, um, the the EV market is growing a lot. Um, I, I think the exhibit A would be Tesla. Um, it reported um, its uh, December deliveries um, over the weekend, and the number was just fantastic. Um, and it, it didn't. Um, it, it, the chip shortage didn't keep it from just having a, a record, uh, a record month, a record year. I mean, people want these cars. So I think the biggest thing keeping um, EVs from uh, really taking over is the lack of um, scale so far from any of the other automakers. Um, you know, Ford and GM are really trying to build out scale. Um, it's going to take time, though. Um, and so I think more than anything, that's the thing that's going to keep uh, EVs from really dominating more than anything with the chip shortage or whatnot. Fair point, for sure. What is um, happening, Myron asks, in the development of new batteries for trucks and cars? Another EV question. Yeah, this is a favorite topic of Al Root. Um, and what, what he notes is that uh, the, the uh, companies have gotten very nimble. Um, you know, they're they're able to really look at what 
they could put into the battery to make it go uh, to make drivers be able to go for make the cars go further. Um, they also look at uh, you know the, the, trying to keep the cost down. They're able to pivot away from some metals to others um, based on you know whether it's geopolitical concerns, social concerns, or whatnot. Um, and and they're just getting better at bringing down the costs and extending the range. Um, and that I think is the the most important thing that's going on is is that. Uh, is that continued drive to make the batteries um, just more powerful and cheaper and getting the cars the ability to drive farther and farther. What I'm kind of interested in seeing is one is watching GM, Ford and other large automakers try to build out the battery scale that they don't have yet. But the other is some of these business models um, that people are coming up with. One that's interesting is Neo in China. They sell you a car, but they rent you a battery. Um, and I wonder if we're going to see more experimenting with that kind of model than um, uh, than we have in the United States yet. So presumably the car is much cheaper, but you've got that constant cost of renewing the battery. That, that's correct. Interesting, interesting business model. So Lee asks a question, Ben. You mentioned that you think it will be a bumpy ride for the averages this year, though you think they'll finish up by the end of the year. And he asks, how low a level do you think the market will reach from here at its lowest point of the year? Do you think it'll be down 10%, 15%, 20% more than that? Hard to say, but what do you say? I wouldn't be surprised if we do finally have a, a, a real correction. Um, so 10% or a bit more. Um, just, you know, just because the Fed is raising rates and there are things that are going to going to scare investors and we just haven't had one yet. And I think this is just a very different environment. You know, we had a very calm markets. Um, you know, once we got past the uh, European financial crisis um, following the, 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 the great financial crisis and you to get through the European debt stuff. But once we did, it was a very calm market because there just wasn't a lot of change happening. And, um, and that helps keep volatility down. I think we're going to see a correction this year. All right. I don't know if we'll hold you to that, but it certainly seems a reasonable supposition. And I think I will close with a question of my own. Many investors have noted that stocks and bonds are both expensive at this point. The S&P has effectively doubled since 2018. And as you say, it trades around 21 times earnings, which is not its highest ever, but above historical averages. And bond yields are finally bottoming after a 35-year-plus bull market. So this doesn't seem to leave many bargains in either the stock market or the bond market. How do you think a long-term investor should be positioned in this sort of situation? You know, I, I think it's one where this is going to sound very cheesy, but I, I think it's true. Um, it's, you need to have exposure to the stuff that is cheap, um, small caps, for one, uh, look relatively like, look fairly cheap. They're I think at 15 times earnings, if I'm remembering correctly. Certainly different from the S and P. Yes, uh, and much lower. Um, AI, Europe is lower. Emerging markets are lower. These are things, though, that people have um, been calling for them to do well for many years now, and they have not. Um, but there's nothing wrong with you know, you know, if you have an allocation to these sectors, and you come through a year where the S and P 500 has left everything in its dust again. Bring your allocations back to what they what they should be. You know, if if, if it means leaving a little bit on the table, so be it. Because when it finally does turn, you'll be happy that you do have exposure to these other areas of the market that aren't nearly as expensive right now. 
Ben, we're going to leave it there. And thank you for your great advice and your wonderful insights. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We're glad you're back with us this year. And thanks for your great questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Barron's Associate Editor, Reshma Kapadia, will talk with Datatrek Research Market Strategist, Nicholas Colas, about why U.S. stocks are still the best game in town, the outlook for cryptocurrencies, and why inflation isn't a boogeyman for U.S. investors. It's a lot to unpack there. So do come back tomorrow. And thanks again, everyone. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.